I would call Sam an apostle. I do not use that word lightly. Um, but just even when Sam is here, there's about 25 churches in this region that will have Sam come and speak. He can speak in all kinds of churches, all kinds of different um, ways of doing church. People welcome Sam because of the anointing that God has put on him. He is uh, on the team, the elder team that is directing YWAM Asia. God is using him and his wife, Jennifer, all over the world. They got back from Sweden a few days ago. He leaves for China tomorrow morning. And we are just so honored to have him be part of this and to send up. But for me, it's a double honor. And here's why. Sam is also one of my best friends. His family and our fam, my family kind of have, have adopted each other. And so we like do holidays together and stuff. It's just, it's just an amazing relationship. And so we, Sam, we, we love you. We're excited about you. Could we, could you welcome with me, Sam Duran? Good morning. morning. I was saying this in the first service. Jennifer and I just got back from Sweden. What a great country. Beautiful country. I thought we Indians are the only ones who had an accent. Now, I totally get it why Minnesotans have a different accent. (laughs) Yeah. So, what do you think about the Swedish countryside? (laughs) Oh, it's wonderful. Amen? Oh, the Swedes are so, so good. Their bread is out of the world. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Tom, for such a gracious introduction. I hope I will be equal to the task this morning. Um, We invite you, Lord. All right, let's um, all stand up, and we will read 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. And the reason why we want to stand up and read, um, not because it has proclamation value, but it's a declaration. And when we declare something, and especially as a congregation, if we declare something, something happens in the spiritual realm so that it is affected in the physical realm. And it just does not happen just for the whole corporate but it happens for each one of us as individuals. Amen? Amen. So let's read it together, and then uh, you'll understand why as we uh, begin to look into the Scriptures. Um, Let's all read together. It's up there. One, two, three. He 
this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Amen. You may be seated. You see, Jesus had one vision statement, but many mission statements. And this is one of his mission statements. For Son of God would be manifested so that he might destroy the works of the devil. And so when we look into that particular passage this morning together, there is something God is wanting to say to us as a church, as individuals, um, as families. I believe in my heart that we are just round the corner to see something marvelous that God is going to do with us and through us. And that's why I just wanted to bring this message to us today. Ever since I was asked to speak on this day, I've been thinking about this and seeking God. Now, Lord Jesus, we declared this word. Lord, your word says, is not my word like a hammer that would break rocks into pieces? So, Lord, I pray that your word will come like a hammer and pulverize our stony heart so that we may receive your word into a heart of flesh. Lord, your word again declares, is not my word a consuming fire? So we pray your word will come and consume every lie that the enemy has lied to us and we believed it. So Lord, we pray for your anointing to come upon us. All of us, O God. So that we may understand what it means to walk in the authority of Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Would you be found amongst us today, God, so that we can not just intellectually know you, but in our hearts know what you want to do amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. For this purpose, Christ was manifested so that he might destroy the works of the devil. There are three parts to that. If I was a Methodist, I would say this is a three-point message. Um, But I'm not going to do all three points. I'll just do one point today. But I'll just have to mention, for this purpose, the word purpose comes from two words, purpose, which means to pose a challenge. For this challenge that the enemy places... Christ manifested so that he can destroy. The fact is every single one of us have a purpose from God. And we sometimes think we don't have a purpose. What is life about? Where where am I going? I don't understand what my future looks like. And all kinds of things that we get. And we even talk to God in, uh, in a way that might even hurt God's heart. Why did you create me, God? What's the use of life? What's my purpose on this earth? You see, that's the kind of language we sometimes use because we are believing a lie from the enemy because your purpose, your purpose and my purpose preceded our birth. 
before we were even conceived, the purpose of God was already there for you and me. He didn't create Sam Daram and then say, oh my goodness, what should I do with Sam? He already had a purpose for me, and then he created me for that purpose. How do I know this? In the book of Jeremiah chapter 1, Jeremiah was 17 years old when God comes to him and says, Jeremiah, you're going to be a prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah says, yeah, right, like all teenagers. (laughs) They're always telling their parents, I know everything, you don't know much. So he's saying, oh yeah, I mean, how, how could I be a prophet? I don't even have any words. I haven't gone to any Bible college. I haven't been to city church. I don't know what to say. So paraphrasing it, God says, Jeremiah, I'm not interested in your opinion of yourself. I'm interested in the opinion I have about you. And I, my opinion is that you're going to be a prophet to the nations. And if you scroll down, as you read that chapter, something profound God says and captured my heart. He says this to Jeremiah. Even before the foundations of the earth were laid, I knew you and I called you by name. You may be 17, 16, 15. Most of us like to be that. You may be 20. You may be 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, okay, 100. Whatever age, that's your chronological age on earth since the time you were born. But in reality, you are billions of years old. Because even before the foundations of the earth were laid, he knew you and called you by name. He had your picture on the wall. He says, that's my boy, that's my girl, that's my God who knows you by name. I don't know you. In fact, I don't want to know your names because I'll forget and I'll say some wrong names. And he'll say, is that what you think of me? (laughs) But God knows you. God knows your name. He knows where you live. He knows you from way before. And he says, this is my boy, this is my girl. And I have this purpose for this girl to be fulfilled. I have this purpose for this son of mine to be fulfilled. Is somebody listening to me? I didn't say this in the first service because of constraints, of time. But this much I want to say that there is nobody in this church that God God does not want to use. Nobody. Because every single one of them in this church has a purpose that God himself has thought through for you. There's somebody listening to me. But the lie of the devil comes to you and says, what good are you? I mean, who are you? You think you can really do something in city church? And we say, yeah, who am I? I, don't, I barely know how to spell the word Bible. I mean, we can downplay so much and we sit down somewhere and not... Walk in the purposes of God that God has intentions for us. Are you with me? I haven't started preaching. I'm just giving you a little overview. For this purpose, for this challenge, God has given a God challenge for all of us here so that we can be not just 
winners and victorious, but not just even conquerors, but more than conquerors in that challenge. There are many challenges in this church, many challenges in your life, many challenges as a family. God says, I have a purpose for you. And when God says he has a purpose, that means he'll come through. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. I know what you're you're thinking. Where are you going with this, Sam? Hang on. For this purpose, God, Jesus, came. The second, we look at the works of the devil. And the third word is destroy. The works of the devil... You see, the devil has many works in play with every single one of us as individuals, as families, as a whole church. Has many works in play. And his only thing on his agenda is to undermine the purposes of God in your life and in my life. Undermine the purposes of God as a church. Is somebody listening to me? And so he has several works in play. Some of it are easily known. There are 67 works that from what I have researched from the word of God, they're probably way more than that. The different strategies the enemy does to undermine who you are in God. That's how he uses to destroy marriages. He uses... Many things to destroy relationships, to bring a divide into the church, into the family. Many, many different works he has in play. And he knows our weak spot. He knows exactly the button to press. Are you with me? So he came, Jesus came, he says, I'm going to destroy those works. Not on the last day. When he shows up, or the second coming, now. Now, because the scripture says, for this purpose Christ was manifested. He not will manifest, he was already manifested to what? To destroy the works of the devil. But in then, just for us to kind of engage ourselves, what might be, I'll share one particular works of the devil. Is that Okay. One, and there are many expressions. One of the expressions that the enemy uses is to create fear in us. To release fear. Because fear, when we allow fear to come into our hearts, because it will paralyze us from making good decisions. Fear has a way to alter wisdom to rationale and we make faulty decisions and we make wrong decisions and down the road we kick ourselves and say, I wish I had known this. I would never have made this decision. How many of you have made decisions and regretted it later? Yeah, I mean, that's a stupid question. Are you with me? 
But some of those decisions that you make, I make, is because fear is lingering. Fear is pursuing us. And so we are forced to make a decision impulsively. And sometimes urgently because the enemy says this is urgent. When it is not urgent, we stupidly fall in that trap and make decisions because of fear. Now what kind of fears are we talking about? You know, if you look at Isaiah, chapter 14, there, there is a conducted tour happening in the heavenlies. This is God speaking to Lucifer. And he says this, Yet you shall be brought down to Shoal, to the lowest depth of the pit, And those who see you will gaze at you and consider saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble? Who shook the kingdoms? Who made the worlds as a wilderness and destroyed its cities? Who did not open the house of his prisoners? Is this the man? Can you imagine on one day when we are in the heavens, we are taking a tour. And there we see a pit. And we look into the pit and we see one guy there. And says, this is the guy? This is the guy that shook the earth? This is the guy who brought the whole nations to, to the knees? This is the guy who destroyed the city? This guy? Oh my gosh! What was, what was I thinking on earth? Because he's just nothing. We make the devil bigger than he is. This guy. Yet this guy has the potentials to shake the nations. One which way we can kind of show you a parallel. How many of you have heard of Osama bin Laden? Almost. Hello? Yes? Do you know that one name, when you mentioned his name, it would create terror around the world? Around the world. U.S. government spent billions of dollars mobilizing the entire intelligence agency, the satellite systems and special ops and all of those things just to get one guy. One guy. Billions of dollars. Why? Because he had the potential to bring such fear and shake even the nation of the United States of America. One guy. That's why government spent so much money just to get one guy. One guy was able to turn and bring this nation gripped in fear. The ripple effects are still happening for us. Some of us are afraid to go to Mall of America or afraid to go to a mall because who knows, there's one guy who will wire himself up and... I mean, if we give ourselves to that kind of fear and stay at home, we are allowing the enemy to take root and take us into a, a much deeper place where we are ineffective. Amen? 
I remember in the 9-11 days, there was this one guy who left his camera in the Atlanta airport in what you call the sterile zone or sterile zone, depending on which country you come from. And he forgot. So now he wanted to go back and get his camera back. So instead of going through the security, he ducks under the security and runs into the Atlanta airport. And while he's doing, suddenly these cameras that are security cameras lost him on sight. And the whole airport was under lockdown just because of one guy. One guy because of his camera. And this guy finds his camera. He's oblivious of what's going on. He gets his camera whistling down, coming out, and they arrest him. Put the whole airport under lockdown. Just one guy. One guy. 15 miles of traffic backed up. 15 miles. One guy caused a billion, over a billion dollars Loss, just one one guy. One guy has that potential. Are you with me? One person here has the potential to create such damage. There's somebody listening to me. One person can create that fear. Okay, I said that about in the corporate sense. But who is that one person that is bringing fear to you? In your marriage, in your workplace, in your relationships, in your personal life, in the siphoning of your money and your economy that you so work hard to keep it. Who is that one guy who does that? And we come to church... And we say, yes, God, you're wonderful. But we do not believe the ability of God to destroy him. Are you with me? You see, fear paralyzes us. Fear pushes us into a cycle of pessimism. And fear initiates self-defeating habits. So what... I mean, there's so many kinds of fears. So I thought I'd just write about 10 for you guys. So you can identify. This is the bad stuff. Not going to be too long on it. Because we're going to get excited. What God is about to do. Amen? How about fear of future? There's some people sitting here who have some kind of annoying feeling about future. Oh my God, what will happen to America now? This election cycle has created so much of that. Fear. Can you imagine the enemy is getting the church around its finger and trying to create fear when we know our God is on the throne? Don't you know the scripture that says the heart of the king is in the hand of the uh, father. He can turn it this way or that way. I don't care who comes to be a president. But I know my God has the heart of that king. Who cares? Yeah, I do, I do, I care. I understand. 
But I know my God. You're worried about the Supreme Court justices. You're worried about this. You're worried about... Pastor Tom gave a powerful word a few weeks ago, a few months ago. And I happened to be there in town at that time. It is probably one, my one-time, all-time classic. I've even tried to duplicate that message somewhere overseas without his permission. <laughs> Are you with me? Hey, in America, they're so worried about copyright, copyright, copyright. In India, copyright means right to copy. I mean, he got it from the word of God, man. Come on. Did God have a copyright on that? Okay, that was an aside. Let's get back here. All right, fear of future. What are you worried about your fear of future? What's the worry about the fear of future? How can we pay our bills? How can we make our marriage work? How can we have our children settle down? How can we pray for their good jobs? How can we twist their arms and make them come to city church? How can we slap this guy and... Can't you see this pretty girl and you're looking at somebody else? You know, parents have different kinds of fears about future. There's some here, sitting right here, who have been affected by that one man creating that fear for future. I'm not saying everybody, but there are some here. How about fear of failure? How about fear of failure? Do you know that in our church, God has deposited and invested in one, each one of you gifts for the use to glorify God and for the equipping and nurturing the body, the, the community here. But fear of failure keeps us from exercising those gifts that God has given us. I'm not talking only spiritual gifts. There are other gifts that God has given us. Only a few come forward. The rest are sitting in the back wondering, what will I do if I fail or if somebody doesn't recognize it? Let me tell you today, the time is now where we need to come out from our chairs because the enemy has kept you there lying to you that you will fail, that you will fail, that you will fail, that you will fail, that you will fail. That's the lie of the enemy. We sang today, he will never fail. If God doesn't fail and he calls us his sons and daughters, so what even if you fail? You're still a success in God. You're still a child of God. Because there's something round the corner for this church. I can sense it in my bones. Every time I pray for City Church, I know. I'm not trying to elevate City Church among all the 328 churches that are in Madison. I'm not doing that. But I do know that every church has an anointing and our church has an anointing that is about to do an irreversible destruction to the kingdom of darkness. An anointing that is coming upon us 
that we would walk in the confidence of God, in the assurance of God, in the purposes of God. Amen? Amen. Sir, if you're a visitor, this is, this is what it is. This is what you get. <laughs> this is our church. Sometimes we're stupid. But we don't care. We love it. We love it when God shows up. I don't know about you. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Fear of failure. Dearly beloved, there are people sitting here. God himself has put his hand upon you and given you gifts. There are some here who have practical gifts. Some here intellectual gifts. Some here who have all kinds of different... I mean, I'm not your personal Holy Spirit. You know who you are. And if you want to be engaged in the extension of the kingdom of God, we have to break that fear of failure so that you can come. You can be part Not of the excitement, but to see God's manifest presence destroying the works of the devil. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. How about fear of tarnished reputation? Because of reputation. You know, you're so worried about your reputation that you're willing to forego even your own inheritance in God. You're willing to forego even your destiny in God. You see, in the book of Samuel, Samuel comes to Saul and, and no, a part of his robe is torn off. And he says, today your kingdom is taken from you. It's torn, it's divided. And you know, he doesn't bother about that. He doesn't care about that. At the end of the day, he says to Samuel, come now. Honor me before my people. Honor me before my people. For him, reputation was more important than obedience to God. Is somebody listening to me? Your reputation, how much you... Yes, the book of Paul says a good name is like a twice fortified city. Yeah, we understand that. But I'm talking about those people who are sitting here and wondering and keeping their reputation. And because of that, you're hindering yourself into entering into your inheritance. Christ, Jesus, he laid aside his majesty. I mean... Think about Jesus. He laid aside his majesty. Tens and thousands of angels were worshiping him. He lays it all. Then comes where? He's born in a stable. Not in a palace. Stinking stable. When my son was born, we made sure the hospital was really sterilized. With all that, he still got jaundice. Imagine Jesus growing up with a taboo. He was born out of wedlock. 
he had a taboo. In those days, if you're born out of wedlock, it's, a, it's terrible. Are you with me? The culture. Amen? Amen. Can you imagine Jesus walking around as a child born out of wedlock? Can you imagine Jesus, the perfect son, growing up with imperfect parents? Hello? His parents were totally imperfect, but he was perfect. I wish my children were perfect. (laughs) It'll save me from a lot of heartache. No, 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 my kids are great. Very little heartache. Can you imagine that? Jesus had to down himself, dumb himself, in a sense, to grow up in that kind of a family. Amen? He could have told Mary, as a little baby, he could have started to speak already, because he's, he, he came from somewhere, and from somewhere he knows all the languages. Yes or no? Can you imagine he had to sub, subject himself like a baby to be nursed like any other baby would? He didn't look at Mary and say, excuse me, Mary, where I come from, I don't need your help. I can do this. <laughs> but he humbled himself. Hello. Yeah, Christmas story. We like to see Mary with a hello and here's a little baby. Unto us a child is born. But do you know, he could lay aside his legitimate rights. He could lay aside his reputation and say, I am willing to identify. Are you willing to lay aside your high horses and come down and say, I am here. I'm in it. Sign me up. I'm part of this church. Whatever the church has for me, I will do it. No, you're my reputation. What will people think? If I wash somebody's car. Fear of reputation. How about fear of intimidation? You know, some of us have unnatural fear of intimidation. We're intimidated by people. And some of us by leadership. You know, I'm saying this because Pastor Tom promised me $10 extra to my honorarium. If I said this. No, I, he, he didn't do that. I've been walking with the Lord for a little over 42 years. I have not met anyone who has easy access. Anybody here. You know, majority of us, oh, Pastor Tom... He is so up there. Would he even talk to me? Try it. Try it. Yeah, if you want a two-hour meeting, that's a different story. (laughs) But try it. You can go to him anytime, anywhere, everywhere. And he'll talk to you. I know some pastors. uh, Better not tell which city. Where you have to go through two secretaries before you say hello to him. And maybe even have a $5,000 check with you. 
Then he'll meet you. Leaders are setting themselves up so that you have no access. What a great pastor we have. Seriously. I mean, you can go anytime. Free access. No intimidation. He might have opinions. That's a different story. (laughs) But do you know what? You can still level with him in that opinion. You can still do that. And he's still accessible. Amen? 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 Amen. Fear of intimidation. Wives are intimidated by their husbands. Husbands are intimidated by their wives. You're intimidated by your boss. You're intimidated because someone's smarter than you. You're intimidated because you don't want to go there because they somehow make you look inferior. Fear of intimidation. It keeps you from entering into all that God has for you. And that's the lie. That's the work that the enemy has undermined your place. And we have given in to him. We are given in. But not today. Not today. Not now. Because we have read that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. In your life and in my life. Amen? Amen. Wait till I come there. You will get excited with me. Are you with me? Are you with me? How about fear of silencing your voice? You know, you feel like you're pushed back to the wall and you don't have a voice. You feel like someone in the past had shut you down. And you feel like you're suppressed and you don't have a voice. Do you know that God wants you to hear your voice? Do you know that it is not just a few of us that needs to speak? He wants to hear you. And when you feel like you're suppressed and oppressed or whatever word you want to use, that you don't have a voice, does my voice count? But do you know what? God is saying, yes. I want you to come into that place. Join in, in that unending praise and in intercession. Let your voice be joined in the burden that God will lay upon your heart and our heart and corporately as a church so that your voice will become like an incense and will rise and fill the bowl. When God sees the bowl filled, he has to stand up from his throne. And he says, it is now. Let the enemies be scattered because of your voice. How long will you be sitting there and just listening to voices? I believe you have a voice. I believe you have a message. I believe you have a word. I believe you have a perspective like I can't have. Pastors can't have. Are you with me? I believe 130 hours is coming. He was on the verge of begging you. You should be lining up. He says, I want in. Because my voice counts. My prayer counts. 
Every Tuesday we have a prayer meeting downstairs. It counts. That's where the furnace is. That's where the engine runs. Is in your voices. Somebody listening to me. City church is just turning the corner to see never seen in your lifetime the power of God being manifested and it takes all of us to make that happen it's not going to be a one man show anymore it's all our show is somebody listening to me do you want to be part of that hello visitors do you want to be part of that then come down and be part of that. There is a river, there is a stream that's going to start. In my opinion, it's already happening. How about fear of insecurity? How about fear of insecurity? You know, some of us are so insecure. That we create safe zone. We don't want to be hurt anymore. So we insulate our hearts. So that we don't want to be hurt. We're insecure. Okay. Insecurity in every different expression you can think of. Every. Our insecurity has kept you bound. When our security really... Is God. You're holding on to something. And limiting to see what God can do. That's why God says I am your fortress. I am your refuge. I am. You see when you are insecure. You hold on to something. And leave God out of the configuration. And it's time for you to let go. Your insecurities. And run into the arms of God. Who will never fail you. He will never fail you. He will never. I mean, you can do better than that. I mean, come on. It's not about my preaching. It's about you believing that God is our security. Are you with me? How about insecurity at work and insecurity all over the place, all over the map? You can think about it. That is an hour message in itself, and I have 15 dying minutes left. <laughs> Hurry up, Sam. Fear undermines authority. You know, this is a big one in America. I mean, we get this very well in Africa. We get this in Asia. We get this in Latin America. We understand what authority is. We understand that. We know God's authority is delegated through the governmental authority of a church. Did you know that? You know what's happened in this influence of democracy? There is good and bad in this, but I'm just wanting to let you know how it is infiltrated into the church. It's called selective submission. We think church is a buffet. We think it's some buffet. Have you ever been to a buffet? What do you do in a buffet? You take a plate and you put what you want. 
and leave other things out of the play, right? Hello? We think church is a buffet. We choose what we want and disregard the rest. Discard the rest. How do we undermine? And we speak like this. I wonder why Pastor Greg is not speaking so often. What a great preacher. We should have him. What did he just do? Yes, he is a great preacher. You don't even know. We are questioning authority. We are usurping authority. We are taking over. And we say this is how church should be. Rubbish. That's how British would say. Rubbish. Church should be the delegated governmental authority in the structure. If we have selective submission, we will be a divided church. We are called to total submission. Are you with me? To God, yes. But if you say, I'm a member of the city church, and when you sign, and I said, I subscribe to the belief statement or statement of faith and to the vision that is before us, then we need to completely submit to that. If you want to see this church in acceleration towards what God is about to do, we need to understand. Because fear undermines that authority. Because you say, I must be the authority because I will be secure and I'll be safe. No, no. God is in authority. God is in control. Amen. Amen. And the only way God is in control is by what we see by his delegated authority. Amen. You may not like what some, some things Pastor Tom says. You may not like what Pastor Greg says, or you may not like what Pastor Sarah Collins says. Or you, I don't care if you don't like, but fall in submission. This is who we are. You, either Jesus is Lord of all, he is none. You see, in America, what we have done is, we, we share the saving knowledge of Jesus... And we say, wow, I'm born again. And the next thing you do, you go straight, jump over one big block and come to the intimacy with God. Oh, I'm ruined for God and I love Jesus. And yeah, that's true. There should be intimacy, but not before lordship. Saving knowledge, lordship of Christ. If only you understand the lordship, then Jesus tells his disciples, three years took... Three years. He says, I no longer call you servants. I'm upgrading this relationship. You and I, I'm going to call you friend. We can legitimately become friends of God, not before we understand the Lordship of Christ. There's somebody listening to me. And the Lordship of Christ is attacked in your life and in my life because of the undermining of authority. Is somebody listening to me? Amen? Hello. We don't have to agree. But let's disagree with honor and respect and flow. Yes? What about fear of depression? 
How about fear of sickness? Some, some people are so afraid. What if I get cancer? And some of you who have crossed the lines in marriage and suddenly think, oh, what if I get HIV? At least you have some fear. They'll keep you away from that. Are you with me? Fear of sickness. How about safety? Fear of lack of safety. These are some of the fears. These are ten fears that we commonly see in every church. Are you with me? Now let's go to the good part. I was waiting for this. You know the word destroy. You can kind of conjure up in your imagination. Destroy has to do with some kind of release of power. Yeah? A few decades ago... uh, Saudi Arabian jumbo jet took off from New Delhi International Airport. It was climbing up. It was 9,500 feet altitude and still climbing at 240 miles an hour. On the other side, in the same trajectory, was a small, itsy-bitsy Cargus airline coming at 210 miles an hour and slowing down. The pilot of the Cargus Airlines spoke English. The pilot of the Saudi Arabian Airlines spoke English. The people in the control tower spoke in English. All had different accents. They couldn't understand one another. And it was just a moment later, there was a mid-air collusion. Imagine, if you study physics, equal and opposites. The papers reported great destruction. Of life and the plane. Irreversible destruction. Irreversible. I mean, it's not as though you could go there and put the pieces together and put some band-aids. Five-mile radius, they found pieces of the planes and human flesh mangled with metal. Irreversible. There's no way you can bring it back. Can you imagine the impact of power? Are you with me? A few years ago, a multi-story building in Calcutta just collapsed like a pack of cards. Next day, the papers reported much life and property was destroyed. And that destroyed, you can conjure up, it was irreversible. Yes, you can build a building again, but you cannot bring back the lives that were lost. Irreversible. A few years ago, we had a tsunami. How many of you have heard of that tsunami, yeah? The rest of you are lying. Just get some example for these guys who are humble enough to put their hands up. Have you heard about tsunami? Yeah, Yeah. okay, I got it. You know, imagine, in that tsunami, 130,000 people died. Seven to eight million 
people were displaced. This is a tsunami that is 200 feet tall, wall of water, coming at 200 miles an hour speed, the water coming, a wall. Nothing can stand in front of that wall coming at that speed. Nothing. Everything in its way is destroyed. The power of that wave. Nothing. Gives you that feeling of such power. You know, the scripture says, for this purpose Christ was manifest, that he would destroy the works of the devil. You know that word destroy? It almost you feel like, oh my goodness, maybe God, Jesus was in the boxing ring about 10 rounds of boxing, and then in the 10th round he just gives a soccer. And the enemy goes. Is that what it is? You think Jesus spent a lot of energy trying to fight this devil? Anybody wearing shoes that has shoelaces? Hey, come on up here. You're wearing shoelaces, right? Does it look up? Yeah, he's wearing shoelaces. Come on up here. I want to show you something. Oh, you have a very fancy shoelace. Where's the edge of the shoelace? Oh, okay, there, there it is. How much effort does it take to untie the shoelace? Double knotted. Okay, he's... <laughs> All right. But let's say it's a regular, regular knot. Even a two-year-old kid can come and untie. Thank you. What's my point? Because that word, destroy, in Greek, in this episode, comes from the Greek word luo, which means to unfasten, to untie. I mean, that's the effort he had. He just comes and said, effortless for Jesus. Hello. I mean, it's not as though he went through about 10 rounds of boxing match. He just says, I untie. Effortless. That's the power of my Jesus. It's like... You know, when you mention the name of Jesus, there's so much firepower in it. It's like shooting a mosquito with an M16 machine gun. Just one mosquito. Actually, that's even a poor imagery. It's like killing one mosquito with a nuclear bomb. That's how the devil is, one mosquito. You know, at the name of Jesus... Every knee shall bow. At the name of Jesus, every mountain shall melt like wax. At the name of Jesus, every demon trembles. At the name of Jesus. Do you know the power of Jesus? Do you know the power in the name of Jesus? He has the power to decimate the devil. He has the power. To decimate. What is it in your life that you need to see Christ manifest to destroy the works of the devil? 
many here have yielded to the lies of the enemy. We've given him a field day. He's come to plunder our monies. He's come to destroy our relationships. He's come to kill your joy. He's come and we are allowing it. And here we have the name of Jesus where we just say, come on, Lord, untie. And he can break that over your life today. Now. Not tomorrow. Now. Just to give you another imagery very quickly. Say quickly, Sam. I got three more minutes before 1230. I know your kids are there. You can go, but I just want to wrap this up. Is that okay? I've shared this before here. But it's so rich. Every time I share it, I get pumped. Because of, man, how great God my God is. You know, if I'm lost anywhere, I would only have, want one chapter in the Bible that will sustain me till Jesus comes or till I die. And that chapter is Isaiah 40. You know, in Isaiah 40, it says this. From one end of the universe to the other end of the universe, it's 120 million light years, and in between there are trillions of galaxies. One end to the other end. And light travels at 186,000 miles per second, and here, 120 million light years, the width and the breadth, and it's still being created. And you know what God says? I span the heavens. Look at me. I can't span this pulpit. In order for me to have this much of span, how big should I be? How much should I grow? How huge should I be so that my span can span this? How huge my God is. How awesome my God is. He's so awesome. He's so huge. He says, I spend the heavens getting the picture of my God. How awesome he is. How huge he is. You know, in the same patches, he says, the heavens is my throne. And the earth is my footstool. Heavens is my throne. Now you understand why I get pumped. He can kick the earth into oblivion. Nobody can find it. And you who are sitting here are like tiny little twits before God. I mean, at 39,000 feet, I can't see any man. I only see brown patches, green patches, blue patches. Better still, have you taken, seen pictures taken of, of from the space, the earth picture? Blue. You can't even see me there. Hello. I can't see me there, but yet you and I argue with God. My God is so huge. Oh God. Put a tennis ball in my mother-in-law's mouth. <laughs> Oh God, bless my children, bless my children. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Kill, kill that person, God. Don't you? We tell God to do what he... Shut up. 
God is far more wiser than you and I are put together. The entire wisdom of the whole entire planet coming together. If there is any foolishness is equal to the foolishness of, of God. God is so much wiser. And we try to advise God how to take care of your problem. Just have the image that my God is so big. My God is so awesome. You know, every once in a while, Jennifer comes with me for travels. This last visit to Sweden was okay. It was not too bad. But when we go for just short trips, from the door to the check-in counter in Madison Airport, is no more than 100 feet. And I'm thinking, what in the world is she carrying in this suitcase? <laughs> and I'm sweating by the time I get to the... Ch- <laughs> when I come to the check, check encounter, I still don't get it. You know what God says in the book of Revelation? I hold seven stars in my hand and no sweat. That's my God. I don't know about your God. My God is so strong. My God is so strong. You know, in the same chapter, he says, I take dirt from the earth and pour and make them mountain ranges. Rockies. Andes. Himalayan, Sousalps. Man is yet to create a small weighing scale that can lift a small hill in Mount Horeb. I thought that was a joke. (laughs) Can you imagine God lifting up mountain ranges? How strong he must be. Finally, take your left hand out like this and pass your right hand over. When you pass, there is a little depth here. It's called the hollow of your hand. What's it called? Yeah. How much water can you put in that hollow? Some men will say maybe 50 ml, and some women will say maybe a teaspoon, maybe two teaspoons, depending on the size of your hand. Have you ever been to a beach? Yes? Yes. Can you imagine standing on the beach, and here God says... I have the Atlantic Ocean, I have the Pacific Ocean, I have the Indian Ocean, I have the South China Sea, I have the Arabian Sea, I have the Bay of Bengal, and he says, I have all the waters in the hollow of my hands, and that's my God. In one hollow, he has all the waters of the earth in that. Getting the picture of this mighty God that we serve. This is the God that we worship. This is the God that we come on Sunday and say, glory be to our God. We say, you're worthy of our praise. You are worthy because this is my God. This is my God. This is the God that you worship. And he says, is there anything too difficult for me to do? Is there anything too difficult? You know, he says in the same chapter, I'm sorry, in the book of Isaiah, my hand, God's hand is not short that he cannot stretch and reach you. Paul says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Now. Now. Jesus is here and he wants to decimate 
every work of the devil in your personal life, in your family, in your work, in your church. Because we are going to see God do a marvel amongst us. Not before. Not before. You allow God to be God in your life. So let's stand. It's 1230. It's a good time for the worship team to come. Wow, they're really hurrying up here. It's 1230. You're welcome to go and get your kids. But I want to have this declaration done. Are you with me? It's right up there. The worship team will just play some instruments. Because there's something that is going to happen amongst us. This is that day. This is that moment. Where every lie of the devil has to be untied over your life. Every lie of the devil and everything that he's brought you to a place of pain, he has to be decimated by the name of Jesus. This is that morning. This is not a basketball pep talk. This is real. I believe in my God. I believe in the ability of God to do that in your life and in my life. So then, let's declare that as we read over your personal life, over your family, over someone that you care, and over our church. Let's read it together. One, two, three. Loudly that you can, uh, wait, loudly that you believe it. And even if you don't believe it, like the psalmist says, help me, Lord, in my unbelief. Let's read it. One, two, three. Christ that he might destroy the works of the devil that is our declaration God that is our belief this morning God that is our heart uniting to see that the lies of the enemy is exposed and that we see the defeat of the enemy This is that morning where we want to embrace that victory of God. Thank you, it's not our battle. Thank you, there's nothing we can do. Thank you, it is you who does this. And we say, speak that word into our hearts, into our lives. Now, this is what I want to do. This is quite prophetic in nature. When the worship begins and when they're singing if you want to see that happen practically miraculously in your life right now then as we worship you step out from there this is not an altar call for sin or salvation you step out here and get bathed in worship so that you can see the destruction 
irreversible destruction to the camp the enemy's camp so you come on down as we worship I'm going to be here too this is not for prayer this is for you to come and appropriate that authority that power of God come and receive and be washed be washed and a few moments later I'll come back right back but come wherever you are from the balcony anywhere you want to see God do that miracle in your life come get worship worship in the presence of God this is that time not to hold on to your reputation your position let's worship him let's worship him with faith through